Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, let's all pick up together at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so this morning, as we said, a joyful church in a suffering world, I am going to put a uh, a um, tag on this particular text in addition to that call. And, and as I've studied this through and looked at it, what just began to leap out for me um, through this text is this. Faith joyfully expressed even in the necessary tests. Faith joyfully expressed even in the necessary tests. Since our God-given inheritance is eternally secure, it's a point I want us to leave with. We must joyfully endure our necessary trials to bring God continual glory and live out the full intention of our faith. Let me say that again. Since our God-given inheritance is eternally secure, we must joyfully endure our necessary trials to bring God continual glory and live out the full intention of our faith. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to look at how is it that I can joyfully express my faith even when I go through these necessary tests. How do I joyfully express my faith? There'll be three things that we'll look at this morning. Um, and let me just go ahead and Jump in and start with the first one. It is to be strengthened knowing your inheritance is eternally secure and pure. Let me repeat that. Be strengthened knowing your inheritance is eternally secure and pure. Understand the context here. These were believers that were in Asia Minor that were beginning to experience ramped up persecution. At this particular point, it is believed that it was not yet state-endorsed or sponsored. It wasn't a governmental. It would happen, but not yet at this particular point. And so because it wasn't, 
what was happening instead is that believers were beginning to be discriminated against, disenfranchised, marginalized, put to the test, that they were beginning to lose some things because of their faith. But it wasn't yet ramped up, and Peter now is writing them to encourage and to settle them as they walk in their faith. And so he starts off, as I read in in verse 1, he says that they are elect exiles, and he gives this picture for them of those that are not at home, that they have been expelled from their homeland. Now, although there may have been some that have been dispersed physically because of their faith, really what's happening is Peter is painting a picture of them as believers on earth as not being home. And it is critical that we keep that picture before us because if this is home, you better fight for everything that happens here. If this is all there is, I'm going to throw a phrase out and don't get mad at me. If this is your best life now, we're in trouble. Because you know what? If, if you are experiencing your best life now, what does that say for your eternity? If it gets no better than this, I'm not sure you're going to end up being in the presence of the Lord. And so what Peter is telling us, what Peter is settling them and, and, and eventually settling us with is that we are these chosen, elect exiles. God purposed us as exiles, immigrants, sojourners, foreigners in a land or in a place where we don't really belong. When I say belong, not that we shouldn't be there but we're not welcomed there. You guys know you've heard me share several examples about our time overseas, and one of the things that we were reminded of many times was that we were not either Swiss or German. They reminded us not so much in those words, sometimes in those words, but not so much in those words, but in in the reception that we did or did not receive, or in the way that our culture was was, was spoken of and talked about, and how people looked at Americans. I know we think we are it all over the world, and that everyone is just dying to be us. Newsflash, most times they're talking about us, and it's not good. And so as we lived, we understood clearly that we were these, these legal foreigners, in this other country, our, our residence card, it wasn't green, you know, the green card here, but our Swiss cards, we were legal residents, but we were not citizens of Switzerland. And what I found interesting, one of the times when we came back to visit here, one of the times we came back to visit, <clears throat> um, the, the, the agent that I had, and um, sometimes we would go as a family, and, and go up um, to the um, customs agent whenever you flew in. And this one particular time, the guy looked at it, passport went through. He says, you know, how long have you guys been in? And I forgot the number of years. And he stamped, you know, and he looked at me and he said, welcome home. Because this 
is home physically on this planet. And what God is reminding us through Peter with those words, elect exile, he's telling you and I, you're not home here. So don't get settled like you are. Don't get so attached because what's happening to you is reminding you of your status. And if we lose sight of that, when suffering hits, we're going to have a problem. So he opens up with that, and then he gets down to why we should be strengthened knowing our inheritance. Number one is that God is to be praised for what he has given. That word, when it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that word blessed, that particular Greek word is only reserved for God. In other words, what it is saying is that he is praiseworthy. He is worthy of you speaking well. It is, of course, that same word. It is a form of the word where we get our word eulogy. When you eulogize someone, you are speaking well of who they are. And in our case, we usually eulogize when a person is um, deceased, speaking well of how they've lived. But in this case, he says you are to eulogize God because he's worthy. Why? Because of what he's been given. The way, one of the ways in which we will be strengthened, um, knowing that our inheritance is eternally secure and pure, is, is, is by praising God for what he has given. And the language of the inheritance is taking them back here to that which was promised during the time of Abraham. When God made the promises to him and would eventually become the nation of Israel, although God's greater intent was that he would have a people that would be from all nations and all tongues who would become a people. It would be that remnant, that holy remnant that would serve and that would walk in him. And, and, and that inheritance of eternal life and that inheritance of, of God revealing himself and completely saving. We heard about that that we already, but not yet, that you are already saved if you have come to know Christ and have been forgiven of your sins. But there is a not yet portion to that, which is saying that one day the salvation will be complete. It's not right now. It's complete in that your sins are forgiven, but it's incomplete is that you're still living with and dealing with sin in and around you. And so what he is telling us here is he says, look, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we need to do is what we've been given should cause us to say something about how good God is. And notice, we're not talking about stuff here at all. When he talks about the inheritance, because we know some of us have had the benefit of people leaving us things in an inheritance, we have sitting in, well, actually it was sitting in our office, it's now sitting in our daughter's apartment on campus, is this couch that we have. It's this three-cushioned brown leather couch. 
And we got it when we were in Switzerland because our neighbor, a couple of floors down from us, they were expats like us, that, that, that the wife was from England and the wife's aunt, I believe, no, the wife's grandmother had passed away and was willing her in the inheritance all this great antique furniture. And she had this leather couch that they had just bought um, uh, from Ikea, had this couch, and she said, I got to get it out the way. And I came down and I looked at it. I was like, wow, it's a nice couch. How much you want? She said, I don't want anything. She says, I just need to get it out my house because what I'm getting is coming. And I was like, well, okay. And, and the boys weren't the big muscle-bound dudes that they are today, so they couldn't help me. And so I was like, but, but I need it. She said, look, my husband will help you get it upstairs. And so I, we got this couch, I mean, really nice couch for free, but it was because of an inheritance that was coming. And what he is telling us is that the inheritance that we've been given by God through Christ is what should turn us into people that are praising. He's not even talking about what you've received in your job, your money, your health, your, your place, your position. I know we wake up saying God is good and we think it's because everything is going good today. God is good. But he's saying no, because of what you've been given that is in store for you should turn you into people that are eulogizing God. And here's the key part. I love the fact it was something that was given by Christ. It was not given by man, and thus it cannot be taken by man. Understand, they would have understood this well. Why? Because their persecution was causing them to lose some things. It was causing them to lose relationships. It was causing them to lose money, their financial status. It was causing them to lose influence and status. And in losing that many times, we feel like, God, you're allowing so many things to be taken from me. What are you doing? And God says, that which cannot be taken, you still have. And that which is critical and means everything to you, which should turn you into praisers to me, cannot be taken because they didn't give it to you. And here's the other part. God may allow it all to be taken. We have precedent in that. In case you're wondering, he showed us that in Job. He said, it can all be taken. And it's not like God sort of worked around the devil. No, it was God's plan. And for some of us, that kind of language messes with us because we've been hearing God never wants that kind of stuff for you. And that's not what Scripture says at all. Sometimes what is happening to you and what is being taken from you is at the hand of God. Sometimes it is. And we go, how we respond to that, how we respond to that will determine whether we grow maturely in the Lord or we sit immaturely and stay angry with God for not fulfilling my wish list. And the moment we get God out of the genie in the lamp box, that all he is there to do is to make your life great according to your standards. The sooner we do that, the better off we'll actually be. Because then we can get to experience what God actually has in store and what he is trying to do because there is a greater purpose with it. And so we see here, it cannot be taken. 
Man may take some things from you, but they can't take your inheritance. Number one, why? Because how it was secured. He says here in the text, he says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, and it's the through, here's how it happens, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I've got to stop there for a second. He says, look, your hope your, what you are, what you are looking forward to. Now, now we know that word hope is not wish. That's how we use it in our society today. I hope I get that raise. Well, you should know whether or not you're getting it, depending on what kind of job you did. Uh, I hope this turns out that way. And what we're really saying is I wish. But this hope is actually a surety. It is something that is certain to happen. It is an expectation. It's like you said, okay, I've worked the number of hours I was supposed to this week. I expect that there is a check waiting in my account on payday. Now, being man, they may not be able to live up to expectations, but there is an expectation because of what has been contracted and what is sure. And what we are seeing here is there is an expectation of what we're going to receive, this eternal life in the presence of God, because of what Jesus did. And, and, and turn with me to 1 Peter 15. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Don't turn to 1 Peter 15 because you'll be well into the book of Revelation. 1 Corinthians 15 and then chapter 14. I'm sorry, 15 verse 14. Through 19. I love this segment. I didn't mark this out in my Bible, guys, so give me a moment. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 19. And I love Paul as he's explaining to the Corinthians this, which is critical because there were questions about the resurrection from the dead. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, asleep in Christ, who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why would that be? If Christ did not do what the scripture says that he did, all of this time that you spend suffering and sacrificing and giving up of the status and all the things that you do of the being ridiculed because of your stance in and for the Lord is for nothing. You've wasted your time. That's what he says. You wasted your time. But we know that it is true. And because of what Jesus did and because we know it is verifiably true, here's the point. He says, you know now that what has been secured for you is for real. And what you have waiting is greater than any physical inheritance, any couch, any car, 
any lump sum of money, any trust fund, anything that could be given to you, what Christ has already secured for you is greater because it will last. We just heard earlier when Kendra shared in 2 Corinthians, that which is seen is temporal. And so here's a good point. Anything that you lay your eyes on is temporary. Anything, even the person next to you. I'm talking about their physical body. It's temporary. Anywhere where you turn and look and you see which your physical eyes will at some time in the future pass away. And he says that which is unseen or that which is in the spiritual world is eternal. And which is why God says to us, that we should set our hope on the things of heaven and not the things of earth which are temporary. Does that mean that we don't enjoy it? Of course we do. Does that mean that we don't get to, get to have some great times and some good things that, 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 that we're all just supposed to throw away everything physical? No, he's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that it does, have, it, it, it does not have ultimate value for you in your life. It has good useful value. But it doesn't have ultimate. What's the difference? When something has ultimate value, you are going to do everything that you can to maintain it. Everything, even if it's something that's not good, if it has ultimate value. Understand here, these believers back in that time were losing some of everything. How does that compare to us today? Well, today it would be, as believers, one of the things is losing our political influence. For years in Western society, governments have been, at least in, 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 in Western society, favorable towards Christians. They've been favorable. Societies, especially in America, have been favorable, but that is changing. It's changing quickly. And how we respond to losing our influence, let me ask you, are we trying to get it back is that what God is calling us to do, is to get back our influence? Or, or is he teaching us, like the early Christians did, to lead from the margins? Do you realize how many believers in the world are actually leading as a marginalized group? They are influencing from the margins. One of the things that we learned about living overseas is that you have to learn to be able to live and, 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 and be able to lead in a culture when you're not the main focus of that culture. You have to be able to have conversations with people about how you live and your values and everything, even when they look down on what you do and how you live. And one of the things we are seeing here today, which is going to be critical for us as believers, is our influence only politically based? Not if what he has given us has been secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I see the early Christians that were living out their faith and many of them were being persecuted and were dying and were suffering for that faith, and many came to Christ looking at them standing strong for God, although marginalized. And I would be able to argue that when we look at Scripture, we are not to fight for our influence on this earth, we are, uh, we are to live out our faith, which is influential. 
on people and will turn the hearts. How do you turn a nation? By turning the hearts of the people, by standing for what is right, yes, by not giving in to sin, yes, but by making sure that they understand that the reason you are who you are and what you are is because of what Jesus Christ has done in and through you. And so we walk. And so for him, <clears throat> for them, they say, man cannot take. It is secured by Christ. Let me ask you, who has secured what you are expecting? I heard in the news today, I mean, not to, uh, earlier this week, about the market that has taken a severe hit because of the coronavirus. Something that man has no control over took a huge hit. Many people's investments took a hit. And if, if, if your hope is in that investment, I'm not saying that you don't invest wisely. Please invest wisely. Use God's money great and well. But it may have just taken a hit apart from anything that you can do. For some of us, health has taken a hit. And we've been trying to keep ourselves healthy for a while in the health. And we heard the story here. That one just came out of nowhere, it seems like. And, and, and we have other things that our expectation is one thing. You may have expected to keep a job for a long time and to find out that it's gone. You may have expected to be healthy and you've done everything that you could, and yet you find yourself not. I really had hoped that because I've done all these different things, I've disciplined and I've studied well, I've, I've, I've educated myself that I would be here in life, and I'm not. When those expectations are not lived up to, you ask yourself the question, on what or whom is my hope secured? And if it is not Christ, it is going to be a hope that will be disappointed. And when suffering hits, it won't be able to hold you. It won't at all. I wonder how many people that are extremely wealthy has contracted corona. I wonder how many people that are extremely wealthy has gotten hit with something that what they've had. I wonder how many people that are not wealthy and that have put their, uh, their hope in a system to support them or maybe family and friends or a job only to find that disappointed and 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 they're left out almost in the cold, I wonder where was their hope? The issue becomes, where is your expectation based? That hope cannot be tainted by what taints things here. It says... To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love this. It says that that expectation that, 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 that God has already stated and put out there for you cannot be affected by what affects things here. What affects things here? Number one, time. That new house that you have in 20 years won't be new anymore. As a matter of fact, in 10, you'll probably be needing something. Depending on when it was built, maybe in five. You may need to be doing some repairs. It will not be. It will not be new. Time affects everything on this planet. Number two, sin. So 
it says it is imperishable. Another time can't affect it. Number two, it says it is undefiled. I love this. Sin can't affect it. There are some things that we have intended to keep, and because of sin, because of some greedy investment banker, some of what you've invested is no longer there. Because of someone that said they would do one thing but was doing another. I've heard of stories of people that were supposed to be taking rent from someone and paying the mortgage, and they were taking the rent money, and that's all that happened with it. And come to find out that the person later was expelled from the house because the bank foreclosed on the house because the person wasn't paying the mortgage. They were just taking the money. Sin affects things on this planet, and sometimes it is out of your control. Jobs that are lost because of bad money management, companies that close, people that are thrown out. And the third thing is erosion. It loses either its value or it loses its luster. I'll never forget that day, and I've told you guys this before. I was working as a customer service rep in a mutual fund area of a bank in New York. It was actually called the Bank of New York. And on that, on what was called that Black Monday in 1989, and the number of calls, it started off like any other day until the market started diving beyond, I mean, it was in the deep end of the pool. And the calls that we were getting and people were trying to get out and were trying to, and then I started getting calls of people crying. What am I going to do? Elderly people crying. That was everything in that mutual fund. And I told you guys before, we were sitting there and on the other side where the trading floor was, there were some people that started gathering around the window. And man, we were like, what, what are y'all doing? Like, and so everyone, of course, when there's a crowd, you draw a crowd. And we got over there and they had not yet covered her up. And I can still see the, the flannel suit. I can still see the gray blazer and the gray skirt of the woman that was face down. Our building went up tall, and there was a parking garage that plateaued several down, and she had jumped and was laying face down on the top of the parking garage. And they later came and covered her. But we were standing there. It was like, it's happening. Gosh, but this, it's, when your hope <clears throat> is built on something that could erode, many people's savings eroded that day. What God is saying is what I've given you Time can affect, sin can affect, and it cannot be eroded. So stop putting your expectation in things here and use things here, but trust in that which can never be taken away. And the Lord is reminding us that's how you handle suffering. Your health may erode. As a matter of fact, let me help you out. It will. <clears throat> the things that I was able to do in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, in my early 50s, I, I'm, I'm not. Working out is much more of a task now. And, you know, I've gotten back into doing that, and I hurt more in places now that I'm going, yeah, I'm reminded of my age. 
and I want to go out and run as fast as I used to, and your brain is saying, you might think you can, <clears throat> and I do, but, but, but the body says the reality is. But because of that, because of that, be strengthened knowing your inheritance is eternally secure and pure. The next thing he says, look, if nothing here can affect what's in store for you there, we place our faith and trust there, not here. Let me say that again. If nothing here can affect what's in store for you there, then we place our trust there instead of here. We just live here. We, we just enjoy and we just walk through and we just journey here, proving ground here. But there, that's where the enjoyment, that's where the final enjoyment, you get to enjoy some of it here. Sure you do, sure you do. But because now when suffering hits, next one is be joyful in your, be joyful knowing that your testing is necessary. Second one, be joyful knowing that your testing is necessary. This one is a whole lot shorter. Be joyful knowing that your testing is necessary. It says rejoice, and that's a present tense word. What he is saying is that in this you rejoice. First of all, and verse 5, let me back up for a second. It says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And he is saying that we are being protected as a people so that we won't lose heart. We are being protected that we won't fade over into unbelief. But here's an interesting word. He says, he says, um, through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says, in this you rejoice. What is the this? That that salvation is going to be revealed in the last time. That word revealed is from the word apocalyptic. It's the same word for the last book in our scriptures, Revelation, which is the apocalypse. That word actually means that which is being revealed, in essence, a pulling back if you would, of what we see into a spiritual world that you don't. He is revealing what's happening, or in this particular case, it'll be the full revelation of Jesus' intent. And so he is saying, understand that, 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 that what you have one day will be fully, fully revealed. You will see it, you will experience, you will have it. And because of that, it causes you to present day rejoice. Understand that current, present tense, because of what you have given, what you've been given a sneak peek of, he says, will cause you to be excited. How many of you guys ever during Christmas time when you were trying to get your presents, you, 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 you weren't supposed to, we did, and, 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 and you found out, you found out presents where they were and you kind of got a sneak peek and you saw a little bit and you got so excited. It's much better than that. But when you get a sneak peek of something, you get so excited to be able to receive the fullness of it. And God said, I've given you a sneak peek in your Christian life. But boy, you just wait for what you're going to receive. And he says, you rejoice. Why? Because he says, in this we rejoice. I mean, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be bound to result in the praise and glory and honor at the, here it goes again, revelation of Jesus Christ. At the apocalypse, at the, at the, at the revealing that is coming at the end. So here's what he's saying. Look, we rejoice because of what we are going to be fully revealed of. Number two, suffering is the will of God for the believer. It is a paradigm shift, guys. For many of us, we've grown up hearing, boy, like Job's friends, if you are suffering, something is wrong. Now, God may be using some suffering to discipline, but boy, many times it is just what happens because you are walking in Christ. James 1, 2, and 4, you can read that later, talks about what trials do in and for us. Read that later. Romans 5, 3, and 5, what having patience in perseverance does for us. Read that later again. Acts 14, 22 tells us again about how the believers were expecting and how they dealt with and lived under suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. If you are having a desire to be a godly person and to walk in God, Timothy, you know, uh, God is warning us through, Tim, I mean, through, through Paul. He says, listen, listen, you will be persecuted at some level if you are someone who is wanting to live godly. If you have no intentions of living godly, you'll go along with the group. Life may be easy, supposedly. You won't have any of those sufferings, and you won't get to experience what suffering was intended to do. Because it has a proving, it has a developing, it has a training work. When you suffer, you realize two things. Number one, this ain't home. That's what you realize. This is not home. And number two, you realize how great God is as he walks you through it. And so you get your eyes off it. Come on. You and I know when you get fed up and get mad. I remember one day I was so fed up <clears throat> with Swiss culture and all the things that had been coming at us and, and hitting us and not being able to read some of the things in English, and you went to Google Translate, and that didn't help. You went to leo.org, and that didn't help, and you were trying to figure it out. And I remember one day they sent, because we had this unpaid parking ticket, I believe it was, and as I finally translated correct, it said, we will come to your house and arrest you if you don't pay this. And I was just like, What? It was like $100, something like that, something, but, but all the fees had added up, and we didn't know how, and finally got to translate it, and I went down, I was like, Lord, help me. I, I said, look, I went down to the police station, I said, Lord, please let me come out of this place, <laughs> and not in chains, and I went in, and the guy was like, oh, no problem, we'll work it out, that's just to get you in. It worked. <laughs> it got me in quick. But all that, and so this one day I was just so fed up. I believe there was some stuff that was happening with the kids and some of the teachers and the way they were handling the American kids, my kids in particular. And I just remember saying, just out loud, I was the only one home, wife, and no one else got to hear it. I was said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I had to go out to take care of some business. I said, a, a Swiss better not even look at me today. <laughs> That's, I, I, 
I did. I was like, I don't, I don't even want to see them. That's going to be impossible because I'm in their country. <laughs> but I was just so angry. And right after that, the Lord was like, Curtis, really? That's how I want you to be? And I backed, I said, but Lord, I just, oh, they just get me so frustrated. And it was like, calm down and understand where you are. You ain't home, bro. You're not home. So act like it. And he says to us, yeah, I know this world is doing this to you. I know you're suffering. But he says, you're not home. You're on your way, but you're not home yet. He says, look, the suffering, what it will do is that it will reveal if your faith is genuine or not. The to you, God already knows. It will reveal, it will test and prove that you are 24 carat and not one carat cubic zirconia. That all you are is shine, but no substance, full of impurities, not real. And for some people, that's what trials do. It weeds them out. They go, I'm out, God, not what I expected. And God says, no, you're not out. You were never in. And for some of us, what it may show us is where our faith is and how we have misconceptions, which is God's grace, because then it reshapes us and it, and it shows us, wow, okay, this is what I really need to believe about God, which is what Job did at the end of his life. He said, my ears have heard of you. I heard about you in one way, but now my eyes have seen you. And that speaks of I now truly experiencing you in a much deeper clearer way. Why? Because of my suffering. Stop trying to rid yourself. No, no one likes it. It is not for you to go, bring it on, God, I'm ready to suffer. No, let me tell you right now, I'm not doing that. And you know what? Get away from me if you want to do that. Go stand on the other side of the building with that foolishness. I'm not looking forward to it, and neither should you are. But, but, but when it comes, it has a maturing feature to it, and that is its intent. What are you going through right now that God is trying to give you a clearer picture of who he is through what you're going through? And here's what he says. Though for a time, now it says if necessary, that is really since it's necessary. It's not an if, like it may not be necessary. God doesn't really know if it's necessary. No, if he's lying, it's necessary. Since it's necessary that for a time, it says that you may experience, it says for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here it is, the, the, the thing about suffering and trials they bring grief, so let's not sugarcoat it. It hurts. It brings sadness. It does. He says that you are grieved for a little while. Let me help you out on timing here. When I think a little while, I'll be home in a little while. My wife should expect, like, within the hour, I should be home. For you, okay, I'm going to get this thing done in a little while. It may mean by the end of the week. When God says a little while, Guess what it's in comparison to? The eternal. So guess what the little while may actually be? Your entire life. It may be your entire life. 
Okay, what is 70 years up against 7 million and you're just getting started? Think about it. Eternity, after 20 million years in eternity, you're just clearing your throat. It's just getting started. And so your 70 years is not even a blip on the map. You got to get an ultra powerful microscope to see your 70 years. See, the issue becomes what he says is, 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 is that for a little while is in comparison to eternity. So if I have something that is debilitating or something that is hurtful or something that is with me my entire life, I go, God, when are you going to get rid of this? And for some of us, God is saying, when you die. For some of us. For some of us, he'll heal it on this side of life. But what does he want us to do is that we continue to give him praise because of our inheritance, what we have in store and what we're looking forward to. And so he says, look, he says, it is a paradigm shift. Suffering is necessary for the Christ follower while on earth so that they learn to bring glory to God, which actually they have a future look to them. They are looking toward the future. And this is the last part of it. The end of it is, look, this is what they end up doing. You can be confident in your faith that it will stand in the last day. What he is saying is that, verse 8, is that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the not yet, which will one day be. It's now. In other words, what he's saying for you and I is, is your trials is actually preparing you so that you stand before God completed in the eschaton on the last day. When you stand before God, all of those trials, all of those headaches, all of those things that you are praising God through and that you are walking in faithfully, all of those things that you are suffering through because you hold to Christ, God says, you're not just enduring them, proving something that others want to see. He says they are actually building you up so that you are purified more and more. So one day you'll stand before God, clean and pure, experiencing the completeness of your salvation. Because that's the intent of your faith. The intent of your faith isn't for you to get a new car. Go on and believe God so you can get that. No, that's not the intent of your faith. Do you really think, I have to ask, do you really think, I'm going to talk to this section, do you really think that Jesus came from heaven, came in one of these old dirty, nasty human bodies? I know y'all think y'all clean and stuff. Dirty, nasty human bodies. You think he came and, and, and was humiliated by the people he created. Died on the cross. Look, when that soldier slapped me, I'd be like, boy, I'll slap you into two eternities. See, that's me. I looked at that soldier and said, I can end you right now. But he didn't. But he didn't. But he didn't. And he endured it, and he suffered, and he bled. And he died and he bore our sins and he was resurrected on that day just to get you a new car. Just so that you can claim a house. Just so that you can claim some sort of other stuff that's going to rust in about 10 years. Come on. No, he did it so that one day you would stand before God, purified, clean, mature. 
holy, strong, and prepared. And your sufferings are doing that. They are part of the package. Don't shun it. Embrace it. No, we don't like it. You'd be a nut job if you did. But he says, but embrace it because God is doing something far greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, you have graced us. You have given us grace and mercy. Father, that you have loved us enough, oh Lord, that you came down to die for us, to leave us an inheritance, to give us that, Lord, which, oh God, is just amazing, and that it can't be touched by any grimy hands here. It can't be messed with by man's sin. Time can affect it. It can erode. Father, thank you for that. Help us to see that that is where you want our eyes set so that when suffering hits, although we don't like it, Father, that we are walking through it with our eyes on you, focused hard and strong, loving who you are more and more and growing in our faith because one day the not yet will be now yet. So, Father, I pray that you will strengthen us and help us, O God that we would walk in you fervently, not walking in unbelief. Oh, God, because of what you have done. It's in Jesus' name we ask, amen.